Good morning, Mill City. Well, a little, you're still thawing out, I guess. Uh, I got a text from somebody, a friend of mine who lives in the South, and he texted me a picture of like our weather, uh, the forecast and all that for today. And I said, we're not even thinking about canceling. And he's like, man, you, you guys are tough. <laughs> so uh, well done, everybody. Um, welcome everybody online, at home, in your pajamas. You're a little less tough, but you're still tough. My name's Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here, and um, it is a joy to gather together and open the scriptures with you. Before we do that, a uh, couple of things to highlight. Um, we are in 21 days of prayer and fasting. We have one week left. This week, uh, Monday through Friday, we'll have a prayer gathering from 5 to 6 p.m. And, and so I hope that you can carve out time, make that, make one or all of them or whatever you can do. Uh, kids are welcome. We have a kids' prayer booklet. Um, love seeing kids in this environment. And also, uh, specifically, Friday is our finale. So I want to encourage you to be there. Um, it's going to be a strong... We want to go out with a bang and, and, and really end strong as a celebration of what we've prayed into and what God will do. And there'll be food afterwards. So a great opportunity to linger and spend some time with one another. Tomorrow uh, is Martin Luther King Day. And so um, we will specifically be praying for uh, racial justice and uh, some of the things that he spoke about. And so I want to encourage you to be there as well. And then secondly, Generosity Sunday happened in December, and I want to give you the total for how much was given. Uh, Generosity Sunday, for anybody who's maybe unfamiliar, is... Uh, when we take a time when we give above and beyond what we normally give so that we can give or do above and beyond what we would normally be able to do. And so, you ready for the total? Yeah. All right. So, you all gave. We all gave. Come on now. $122,120. Sense. So great. I am so grateful to be able to pastor a gen such a generous church. I uh, want to tell you a little bit about where some of those monies went, uh, and we'll do so as well in upcoming weeks. Um, one of our initiatives this year was to partner with Lutheran Family Services, uh, which helps to settle refugees in northern Colorado. And so uh, we also were looking to put together uh, a team to be able to walk alongside a family. And uh, you all came, str came through strong. We're gonna, we have two teams, so we're going to be walking with two different families through the process of arrival to settling. And so it takes about six months. That's a six-month journey. And so um, we'll be providing not only the the relational support, but then also the financial support. It's about $3,000 a family, helps um, with, with you know, some of their, their expenses as well as in terms of the actual process and uh, furniture and things like that. Uh, as we were talking to Lutheran Family Services, we also found that they, they the, in talking about the process, that they picked them up from DIA and, and then, of course, have to drive them here. They, the van that they had didn't have enough room for luggage. It didn't have air conditioning. Um, it's kind of one of, you know, like on its last leg. It was, um, uh, I think, 
15 years old and had been used extensively. And so as a result and a result of your generosity, uh, we have given them a brand new $65,000 van. Yeah. So look, look what we did, everybody. And what a gift to be able to serve these families as they arrive and they settle here and um, just part of the experience. And we also wanted to bless that organization in all the work that they're doing, not just for these couple of families that we'll partner with, but for the many families to come. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, more updates in the weeks ahead. So in 1988, there was a study done at the University of California, San Francisco, and it was with 393 heart patients. Uh, they it either had a heart attack or they were dealing with, with serious heart issues. Half of those 393 were prayed for. Now, they don't, the, of the 393, the 393, he didn't know whether they were being prayed for or not. So at the end of the study, they found that the half that were prayed for, far fewer, not just like a little bit, but far fewer died, far fewer required use of a potent drug, and far fewer ended up, and actually not one of them ended up on life support. So we might hear stories like that and think, oh, prayer works. But a little over 14 years ago, Jossie and I found ourselves pregnant with a little girl. And in her eighth month of pregnancy, we found out there was something wrong with her. She still had a heartbeat. And we began to pray and gather people around. And for weeks, we were asking God for a miracle. And Jossie ended up delivering a stillborn baby girl. Or maybe you've been asking to have kids. Maybe you've been asking God to get pregnant. And instead of kids, you get miscarriages. Or maybe you've been praying for some sort of diagnosis and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. It might actually seem to be getting worse. Maybe, maybe you've been praying for that son or daughter who's wandered away. And they either seem to be not moving at all or maybe even moving farther away. And we find ourselves in this place of like, God, why aren't you doing anything? I had a friend when I was, when Jossie and I lived in Tulsa years ago, and she had a 16-year-old son that was diagnosed with leukemia. And she went through, they went through the medical process, but she also was part of a praying church. And so she, she called people and got people around her and they prayed and, and several months afterwards he died. And then she went to her pastor and asked, uh, so do you think that like we didn't pray enough or hard enough or long enough? Or? And he said, yeah, I think so. Which is absolutely heartbreaking and terrible theology. But sometimes I wonder if this mix of bad theology or, or experiences of unanswered prayer or, 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 or something that somehow starts to kind of build some things up might be one of the reasons that we might struggle to pray. And so we start to wonder, does it matter? Does prayer actually make a difference? Last week we talked about the joy of communing with God, but 
and, and that, it, that prayer is first relational before it's functional, but there is then what about the asking? What about the big questions? What about the, the, the wanting something different than it is? And maybe, maybe you find yourself angry or just totally confused because you read the Scripture and you read about divine intervention. And maybe you've heard stories about somebody else's divine intervention. But you're wondering, what about divine inaction? Because to pray is to get your hopes up. And so maybe you've begun just to pray small prayers, to insulate yourself against disappointment. Or prayers so vague that you actually never even know if they're answered or not. We're in a, we started a series last week called Practice Prayer. And I believe that if prayer is going to be sustained, we have to attend to the question, does it matter? Now, we maybe have heard throughout history, and we can certainly read the Bible, Paul encourages the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, pray without ceasing. Jesus says that to his, about his followers in Matthew chapter 6, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray. And we've had saints throughout, the his, throughout history that have, that have prayed and, and have deep prayer lives and encouraged other people to pray. Martin Luther King Jr., a deeply prayerful man, said to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Jesus prayed. And we maybe could look at all of that and say, well, I should pray. I should pray because Jesus says I should, or Paul says I should, or, or these people throughout history say I should. But my prayer is that it's not a should, because I don't know about you, shoulds don't usually motivate me for very long. My hope and prayer is that it wouldn't be a should, but that it instead would be a get to. I get to pray. Or maybe even a have to. Not like a have to like somebody else is forcing you to, but more like a I have to pray. I am so desperate, I have to talk to God about this. I have to let him know. I have to cry out. And so I, wanna, I want you to see something in Revelation that has been helpful for me. The book of Revelation was written by John. John was exiled to the island of Patmos after Jesus had ascended to, the, to heaven and many of his other friends had been martyred, but he was exiled. And so he's living on this island by himself. And on this island, he has a vision. He has a vision of the end. And much of that is recorded in Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, it says, day and night, they never stop. Now, He's talking about those who are surrounding the throne of the Lamb of God, of Jesus. And it says, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They never stop saying, like they've been saying this and continue to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. When we worship, we are joining the anthem of heaven. We are joining those surrounding the throne, offering praise, joining in. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. 
And that has been going on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for centuries, for millennia. In John, a Revelation chapter 6, John writes that, talks about these, these seven scrolls, and he talks about each scroll being opened. And the first six scrolls, after they're opened, there's like one word spoken and just a little bit of activity. But in Revelation chapter 8, it starts off by saying, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now that's really amazing considering the fact that holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come has been happening for maybe it it has always been that way. But we can say at least from the creation of the world, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come has been going on and all of a sudden, there's silence. Now that's obviously something that's significant that's happening for it to be happening for that long continuously. What could be so special? What could be so valuable? What could be so important? As we read on, it says another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. God collects your prayers. He collects them. He's put them in this place. He's taking what he's collected. But then it says, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Seventh seal opens, 30 minutes of silence, this bowl filled with the prayers of God's people, mixed with the incense, poured out onto the earth. Lots of activity starts to happen. Your prayers and my prayers change history. Your prayers and my prayers collected by God. All kinds of things start to happen on the earth. We, when we partner with God in prayer to fulfill His purposes on the earth. We are to pray for things to be different. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Like we want it here to come down, to be here. And sometimes we see it. Sometimes we see it now. We see a healing, or we, we see justice brought about. And it's a signpost, a sign of what is to come in the ultimate resurrection. But when we pray, we participate in the transformation of the world. Our prayers are collected. They are not wasted. They are not dismissed. They are collected, and at one point, they are poured out, and they bring about transformation in the world. And you might be saying, that's great, Aaron, but I'm not seeing any change. Did I somehow miss the formula memo? You know, like volume plus, plus time plus place plus number of people plus prayer model. You know, did I not get the right number of people? Did I not get it? Is it not loud enough? Is it not long enough? Is it not? Well, what's going on? Did I miss the memo? And sometimes when we get into 
that, we end up with bad theology like the story I talked about in the beginning. But too often we think of prayer as something we do to get God to do something that we want Him to do. When prayer is actually about trust, not about understanding. When we pray, we enter mystery. It's not about us knowing how it all works. It isn't a formula. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus says, And will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? Will He not bring about and make things right? That's justice. Will He bring about justice? Any wrong He will make right? Will He not do that? For those who cry out to Him, crying for justice, crying for things to be right, crying crying out for a change. Will He keep putting them off? Jesus says, I tell you, He will see that they get justice and quickly. They will get it. They will get justice. They will, the the wrongs will be righted. The losses will will be fixed and quickly, He says. However, When the Son of Man comes, when Jesus returns, will He find faith on the earth? See, Jesus is saying that God is promising a good ending. He will make all things right. And so, I think that oftentimes the things we pray for, when it's somebody who's sick, when it's something that's wrong, I call them protest prayers. Because ultimately, what we're saying is, this isn't right. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. My daughter's not supposed to die at that age. My son's not supposed to be doing these things and destroying his life in those ways. These relationships aren't supposed to shatter like this. This isn't supposed to be this way. And God joins you in that and says, you're absolutely right. It is why he did something about it. It's why Jesus came. Because it wasn't the way he designed it to be. But... When Jesus comes, will he find men and women who even in the ache, who even when, it, when they didn't get what they prayed maybe tenaciously for, will he find men and women who haven't lost heart in the face of disappointment? Will there be any who have trusted and continued to pray even when they didn't understand, even if the wait seemed like forever, even if the ache was overwhelming, even if, the, if, the, if they prayed for hours and hours, even, even if, will he find faith on the earth? Because this is where faith comes in. I think sometimes faith can, can kind of be a, a word that, that for some might be a little tough to handle. I don't know what to do with it. You know, like, is my faith not strong enough? Did I not have enough faith for that? But our faith is not in an outcome. We ask for an outcome, but our faith is in a person. Our faith is in Jesus, and our faith is in God. And ultimately, it is a belief and a trust that God is good that, that He has goodness in mind. That even if we don't see it, that, that He has goodness. That even if we don't understand it, He's got goodness. 
that he is good, to believe that he is good, even in the hard, even in the agonizing, even in the difficult, even when prayers go unanswered, even when it doesn't make any sense, even when he doesn't do what we think he should do, even when we find ourselves thinking, I, this isn't what I would do if I were you, God. To trust God, God's goodness throughout all of those questions. See, prayer is about releasing control. Releasing control about our timelines or exactly what we want or how it's supposed to go. Jesus instructs us in the Lord's Prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. Which means we're not praying my will. Not, it's not about our, my will, my desire, my, my will be done. It's, it's not my kingdom, yours, which means we align with his, which may not align with ours, but his takes precedent. And so we release control. And so we embrace Isaiah 55 that says, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I don't understand and, and I may never understand. And if I don't understand, you're still good. You're still good. And so our weekly practice this week is to try to engage this aspect of leaning in. And so similar to last week, it starts with to set a daily time. Find a time this week that works. The hope is that you would find a time that would work for you every day beyond this week so that this becomes a habit. There is no formation without repetition. And so we want to put ourselves in a rhythm to meet with God. And if it becomes relational first, you'll find yourself more regularly in the place of prayer because you want to be with God, which then hopefully will lead us into a place of saying, all right, God, here's my request. I want you to be with God and pray big prayers. Now, for some of you, that might be asking for the first time. For some of you, this might be a renewing hope exercise to reignite some faith for something that maybe you've like, just, I can't pray that anymore. I've been disappointed too much. I'm tired of feeling disappointed. I'm tired of being, feeling hurt. Now, to ask big, for big prayers, ask big prayers, is not, is not to ask for a new G-Wagon or a million dollars. We're not talking about, like, name it, claim it. We're talking about aligning our wills with God's. Saying, God, this is what I want. I believe this is your will. This isn't right. Praying for justice. I, I like to ask myself sometimes to to help me understand or know if I'm, I'm aligning my will with His and to know if my prayers are very big, is I ask if all of my prayers were answered, would it just change my life or would it change the world? Would it change the world? Would it change more than just your life? Would it change your neighborhood? Would it change your workplace? There's an essay by C.S. Lewis called talking about bicycles. And in it, he writes about the phases that we might go through when we experience a bicycle. The first one he calls somebody being unenchanted, meaning that they, they, they see a bike and they, it's, just like, it's just a piece of metal hanging in the garage. 
But then, and maybe you remember this as a kid, then they, they learn to ride a bike. And the, the whole world opens up in front of them. They feel like they're fr- flying. And you can go further and, and you can go faster. And, and it's just magical. He says that's enchantment. They've been enchanted. They were unenchanted, and now that person riding this bicycle is, is enchanted. It's, it's a, new, a new world, a new, a new, new opportunities. New, it's just joyful and fun, and you build a ramp, and you do wheelies, and, and, and you're riding to your friend's house, and you just love your bike. You get your first new bike for Christmas, and you get a little bigger, and you get the next one, and it's just the best. But then maybe you ride to school, or you ride to work. And, and it's, a, it's a chore. And maybe it's cold outside and you're like, I actually don't like your bike because you wish you had a car. And, and you become disenchanted. It becomes utilitarian. It's just a functional piece of metal that serves a purpose. But there is a fourth phase. And it's when you choose the bike again. Maybe you're not riding to work, but you decide to go out into the mountains or go out just for a ride. And you feel the wind in your hair. And you feel the freedom and the joy. And maybe you're even reminded of the first time you started to ride a bike. And he calls it re-enchantment. That the joy of riding a bike has come back. It's not just functional, but it's fun. There's a playfulness and an innocence to riding a bike. It's a, it's a joy. It's a delight. For some of you, you might find yourself unenchanted. Like you've never actually stepped into a place of prayer. My hope is that you'll step in and find yourself opening up to a whole new world. Wow, I get to talk to God. He collects these prayers. He listens. He's with me. It's magical to you. And for others of you, you find yourself disenchanted. You find yourself maybe a little cynical. You find yourself maybe wanting to keep God at arm's length. Or if He wants to talk to you about a big, something that would be a big prayer for you, you're like, nah, let's not talk about that. My prayer is that we would be a house that finds enchantment in prayer. There's a joy, there's an innocence, there's a desire, there's a whole new world that we are aware that we can tap into, that we can engage, filled with God, brimming with salvation and hope and life and joy. For some of you, you need to be re-enchanted in prayer today. And so we're going to continue this sermon in song. We're going to sing a song called The Goodness of God. For some of you, maybe you've been walking with God for a long time and you have seen the goodness of God even amongst the difficulties of life. For you, this might be a declaration song. For some of you, maybe you're like, yeah, I'm, you're in the place of disenchantment and you're like, I, I like what you're talking about, Aaron. And so maybe this is a prayer song. Maybe this is, I'm going to open my heart to try to move into that space type of song. And maybe for some of you, 
You might be here and you might be in the middle of it. Maybe you just lost somebody. And you might find it hard to sing. I want you to know that the people who are singing around you are singing for you. Singing with you. Carrying you on our words and our prayers. Believing. And because I know that sometimes when you're in the middle of the storm and the loss and the pain and the confusion and the I don't know and why didn't you answer my prayer, God? Why did you let this happen? That sometimes you can't see the goodness of God right in front of you. And this is why we are part of a family. This is why the body of Christ and community matters so much. It's because sometimes we can't pray and we can't sing and we have other people that will pray and sing for us and carry us and support us and walk alongside us. And so if you would, I just ask that you would open your hands, open your hearts and let's sing about the goodness of God together. Running 
will sing of the goodness of God. Come on, one more time. All my life, Jesus. sit in this moment for a moment. Just let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Be sparking a trust in the goodness of God again. Re-enchanting. so faithful I think of moments in my life when I thought I don't know where you're good here to look back and say oh I see your faithfulness I see your goodness so Father I pray for every person in this room every person on live stream wherever they might find themselves would you re-enchant us or enchant us for the first time prayer and seeing and trusting in your who you are in your goodness. And we don't say, oh, God is good, like it's, like it's flippant, trivial, or just kind of a trite response. But instead, God, we want to believe it from the core of our being. You are good. You can be trusted. It can bring things to you. God, would you help us not to trust in outcomes? how we think you should do things, but instead, may we just bring it all to you and trust you and trust that you are good. Jesus, we need you. Even in the midst of your agony, you talk to your Father. May we, in the midst of everything we go through, talk to you. Bring it all. Jesus, we love you. We love you. Wherever you might find yourself on your spiritual journey today, maybe you're just like longing for to be re-enchanted, if you will, to draw near closer to God. Maybe some of you in this room, it's your first time in church or you're not a follower of Jesus. You're like, I don't even know what you're totally talking about, this prayer thing. Maybe some of you have like, this is your first time in church in a long time. And maybe one of the reasons is because you were cynical and you're disappointed and angry and like, it's, it's, I can't do it. I believe each and every 
One of you are here for a reason today. And God is inviting each one of us, all of us actually, to surrender more to him. To step into a place where we release control and we trust him. And for some of you, that would be trusting him for the first time in your life. Or for some of you, first time in a long time. If that's you, then you just simply, under your breath, cross the line of faith by saying, Jesus, I trust you. You may not even totally know what that means, but you just say, I trust you. I, I give you my life. I want to follow you. Not my will, but your will. I want to have an anchor like your goodness and faith in you and ultimately your resurrection. And if you just prayed that simple prayer, Jesus, I trust you. Welcome to a new world. It's a whole new world that just opened up and a whole new family that you became a part of. The kingdom of God and the people of God. It's not the only thing, it's not a one-time event, it's an ongoing conversation with God and it is a learning alongside brothers and sisters in Christ. So if that was you, the most important decision of your life and the beginning of an incredible journey. I'd like to take a moment and just pray for each and every one of us in this room. Father, we, we thank you for the ways that you communicate and show and have shown your faithfulness. For those in this room that are in the middle of a storm and having a hard time seeing it, would you surround them with people that can carry them along knowing your faithfulness? God, I pray that you'd give us a revelation. We don't want to just know about it. We actually want a revelation of your goodness. So we do pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth. God, we want it. We ask for big changes where things are wrong when there's loss and there's war and there's injustice. God, would you make it right on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, we pray in the powerful, death-defeating, life-transforming, history-altering name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.